Hello, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Market Meditations, where Chris Heidel and myself, Neil Modi, uh, interview people we find interesting that we can learn from and hopefully become better human beings and better investors. We appreciate you joining us along our journey. And today you're in for a real treat. We have Andrew Haslam from Providence, um, the second largest healthcare system in the country. A hospital system in the country, and John Milne, the head of the real estate division at the second largest hospital system in the country. And we are excited to have them both as they share their views and control a lot of real estate about the future of the value of real estate and where it's all going, especially with all of the pandemonium caused by the pandemic from um, the price of retail because of Amazon, obviously cannibalizing a lot of retail value and, and Walmart doing pretty well at that as well. Um, and then also uh, looking at uh, office space and where it's going. Uh, there's just a lot more questions and answers. And I thought uh, a group of guys who managed you know, over $10 billion in real estate assets might be able to give us some insight. We'll find out if we're right. Um, I hope you've been joining the last bunch of episodes as well. If you have, please take a moment and rate us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. Thanks for joining us yet again. The big time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff that I never had. Andrew, it's great to meet you. I've uh, heard wonderful things about you, and now you get a chance to defend yourself. Oh, okay, I'm ready. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, Andrew, tell me, what's your um, role in, in the world of real estate? You know, I actually come at it from a healthcare standpoint. So I always tell people I'm a healthcare uh, expert that happens to know a little bit of real estate as opposed to a real estate expert that happens to know a little healthcare. And I make that distinction because my background is in healthcare. So I have uh, an MBA and an MHA, a Master's in Healthcare Administration, and I've always... Mm -hmm been in healthcare. My first job out of high school, I was the accounting clerk at the Portland VA hospital. And if nothing gets you excited about healthcare, Ooh. like working in the accounting department, I can't tell you what else, you know, what else is it? So <laughs> uh, to make matters even better, our offices were in the basement of an early 1900s building. And so I figured it was only up from there. And so I, uh, I've been in healthcare ever since, actually, and so I come, I, I come, I come at this from a uh, from a very interesting angle, and so I, uh, I've been in healthcare my whole career, and have you know one job led to another, and now, um, you know, some might call me a real healthcare real estate expert. I just I, I like to dabble, I say, but yeah, it's uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, well, you know, Neil and I were just sharing how much of commercial real estate has been forced kicking and screaming now to change and still okay those changes are before us we can't yet envision them all what have you seen developing in in your space so it's interesting I, I think from a global standpoint you know we have you know gosh it's it's almost I'd say based on rough numbers almost 50 million uh, employees working from home now obviously and and that has been a huge shift. I'd say we have made leaps and bounds of progress in terms of kind of remote uh, working. You know, we probably made five, 10 years of progress over the course of five to six months. Um, and so that, that'll be interesting because you, you have large swaths of real estate that are now, that's now largely vacant. And um, I don't think this signals a complete and utter shift to everyone working on islands remotely and kind of working from wherever they want. Um, I think you will start to see though, more of a, a home centered uh, work environment with a workplace supported network because people still, regardless of the role, I mean, there are very few roles that are, I'll say isolated to somebody being able to work from home exclusively there will be a significant change of folks though, uh, probably spending the majority of their time working remotely. Um, but then there will be a need for a work uh, environment that is collaborative where they're able to come check in. 
Um, and I'm not talking about kind of a, um, you know, a co-working environment, really an office space where, you know, you're in there one or two days a week and the, and the types of meetings that you have will probably be much more collaborative in nature. The tools that you need to complete those meetings will probably be much more technologically advanced. Um, I think, you know, it longer the long gone are the days where you go into the office and you're in five, six, seven, eight meetings of back to back with, with, you know, eight people around a conference table and everyone has their pad of paper and then they kind of squirrel away to their individual desks and or offices to get the actual work done. And so um, I think I think we're starting to see, you know, that is a huge trend, obviously. Um, but what does that mean for us long term? I think that's still to be determined. Um, and you then, sound just like John, too. You know that? That's yet to be determined. <laughs> you, guys, you, guys must, you guys must be rubbing off on each other. <laughs> whether that's good or – exactly. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. It's easier for John to dabble in real estate and health – you know, healthcare real estate than it is for me to dabble in medicine. <laughs> so I would say the extent of my uh, emergency physician uh, – experience is some antiseptic and band-aids so i think it's easier for i john. mean that's that's what i think john said all er medicine really comes down to the other day so <laughs> i think I, I i can quote him on that right john chest tubes and ventilators i mean it's, i think john told me just use super glue <laughs> <laughs> <And they're all laughs> Well, it seems to remind me, you know, this is before my time, but it seems to remind me a little bit of, of the RTC days in terms of like just the craziness that's coming up. Um, and so I figured I would just learn from you guys and let you kind of lead the conversation. And Chris and I would ask lots of dumb questions and add, you know, hopefully some insightful commentary occasionally. Yeah, I and I think I think one of the things we could start on that's interesting is is part of the current real estate environment is one where you know to your comment around Amazon. I mean, Amazon I think just recently came out and said you know they're gonna uh, they intend to create thirty five hundred corporate jobs uh, for which some will actually be you know located in kind of some of their tech hubs across the country which really is against the grain of many of the remote work trends that we've talked about. And I mean, that's, that's one that'll be interesting where, you know, their comment was, you know, the ability to connect with people face to face and for their teams to be able to work together. Um, and, you know, some of that stuff they try and do can't be done virtually. And I think to our comment around, you know, how do you allow uh, some flexibility in your workforce, but still have them have that access to, um, you know, the, tools and resources that they need to be successful, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think that does have an effect on our real estate. And I mean, uh, never before to this extent have we had, I mean, we had the global, you know, recession, uh, the great recession of 2008, and that led to a pretty significant uh, real estate crisis for many different reasons. But that largely was more of a trickle, I'll call it, right? And, and the, the, um, the faucet didn't just immediately shut off. Uh, this was one where due to extraordinary circumstances, a pandemic, um, you know, many of these people literally just turned off the lights and didn't come back. And I think that's, that's a difference between now and, you know, uh, over a decade ago when we were uh, struggling with that recession was uh, people are saying, you know, I'm just, I'm literally not going to come back. I'm not, I'm done paying my, my rent. I'm sorry, landlord, but I can't pay it. And in fact, I'm actually shutting down my business. And so that, that has never before happened in such a way where it really affects the way uh, folks are thinking about real estate. It's not, okay, how do I reposition this? It's, oh, now I have a hundred thousand square feet of office space that's completely vacant because everybody went home. And in healthcare specifically, I think that has uh, implications around um, what and how we, you know, what and how we make money, right? Is it one where all of our uh, non-patient facing staff, should they be working from home? Um, and, you know, talking about turning off the lights, you know, there was a government mandate that we literally could not operate and 
you know, perform surgeries. And so um, in a really very real way, we were, uh, you know, not able to actually produce revenue that we usually do to support all of the other businesses that really make the whole machine continue to roll forward. And so um, I think we are, we are approaching this from a very different way. Technology has enabled us to be able to say, uh, how important is the work environment? Um, I don't think we're obviously um, moving toward a scenario where everybody works from home. I just don't think that's uh, feasible. Um, but it, it's something that it, it feels a little different, and I'll open this up. It feels a little different than where we were in 08 for a multitude of different reasons. Yeah. Um, Andrew, in thinking this through, you know, I've always had a question in my mind. My father was a pediatrician and he used to make rounds at a, a extremely large teaching hospital in New Orleans, charity hospital. And there were 2,680 or so beds in that hospital. <laughs> and I used to always wander those halls and just wonder, gosh, how can you keep a place like this running? And of course, we've seen, you know, um, with the vagaries of uh, healthcare delivery and the changes um, are first in real estate, those types of large hospitals, um, is there any salvation for them? Are they going the way of the mall? Um, and What's developing to replace them or to do, deliver service? Do you mean Amazon distribution centers when you say that? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to show up at your doorstep in a drone. Sorry, for those who don't know, Simon Property is one of the largest um, mall uh, owners in the world, or in the country at least, mm -hmm. signed a deal to do distribution for Amazon. Um, and some of their old retail stores like Sears and JCPenney's. Well, this is something we talked about before, Neil. We're seeing, you know, companies that even started on the web, like Warby Parker, building storefronts. Amazon, of course. They're not 10,000 square foot stores. They're, you know, 1,500 feet or so, but creating that sort of brick and mortar presence in important markets. Uh, Bonobos, the pants uh, company. <laughs> Those, you know, they're... they're um, Doing those things, and of course, Amazon famously was opening, at least initially, some uh, trial bookstores, and of course, they have Whole Foods. So um, you're, you're seeing this sort of hybrid model develop, but it's still a big hit to commercial square footage, at least in the initial outset of this. And I don't know what's happening in healthcare that might be similar with, you know, a, a dispersion of services to urgent care, to dialysis centers, to other um healthcare delivery outlets, if you will, um, and what yeah, that's doing to right, the real estate. I mean, what, what, what you're fundamentally talking about is, is how has the model of uh, care delivery changed? And this was a, a trend line that was uh, is already present before COVID and certainly has been accelerating um, since then as much more care, uh, or much, of, much of the care went virtual very quickly and people started becoming more accustomed to using virtual related uh, care delivery uh, services. For us at Providence, we went from having almost no physicians, uh, for the most part, engaged with using, uh, you know, electronic type devices, video chat uh, sorts of platforms to be able to deliver care to seven thousand almost overnight, and moving to doing from you know very few online visits from a primary care and specialty care perspective to doing almost 12,000 a day. So, I mean, it was the, the growth for us was exponential in a matter of just weeks. And that uh, shift is, and while it's probably not gonna be sustained at that level, it probably is going to, it's never going back to the, to the uh, trough level where it had been. So I think that is, is absolutely a component of where care is is going, and but going back to you know charity hospital, you know your your reference there, you know a vulnerable, or, you know a vulnerable institution. I was, was going to say vulnerable institution, as uh, Hurricane Katrina proved that you know charity hospital really didn't survive the the hurricane uh, 15 years ago. It's it's healthcare. Those large hospitals like that. Um, there's still a role for them, depending on uh, on where they're at. I mean, Cedar Sinai in, in Los Angeles is a massive hospital and massive hospital complex. 
But what you're going to see is a handful of those large hubs that are there and then a much more distributed network. And that it's what in that distributed network is what's going to change. The, real, the hospitals that are really vulnerable, I think, in all of this are not those really mega-sized ones who are the, the quaternary tertiary care type hospitals that are providing the highest end surgeries and uh, transplants and ICUs. It's the community hospitals that are kind of the bread and butter of, and for many communities, the largest employer in some of those communities. Those, uh, those institutions which have infrastructure that is 30, 40, 50 years old and aging needs to be replaced the services they're providing are getting kind of eroded from both ends of the spectrum. And so you've got uh, a shift to a much more outpatient ambulatory type of an environment for care delivery uh, in, you know, kind of eroding from the bottom and then these large uh, regional centers of excellence eroding kind of the higher end stuff and it leaves a community hospital kind of caught in the middle with really no business left and not able to make uh, make sustainable money. And that was a trend line, like I said, that was before COVID that was, that was moving forward. I think the thing that we're going to see with COVID in the way, so going back into the real estate uh, question, because it's kind of where we started is the types of facilities that we need going forward are going to change into being a much more uh, nimble, light sort of a chassis in terms of our uh, footprint. And that's what Andrew and I are working on kind of day in and day out is looking at what stuff do we need to rebuild? Where do we need to reinvest our resources as a health system? And what types of, of facilities do we need where these regional hubs are really an ICU and an OR, and that's the core of what they are. And then having a broader network of, of much smaller footprints, a lot more virtual enabled uh, care delivery processes that will ultimately drive um, things into the hubs. What people you know, are going to have to change, there's going to be some behavioral changes going to have to happen in society as people get used to different modes of care. Uh, Should you mean like more minute clinics? Sorry. Um, to no, uh, minute clinics are kind of an in-between in sort of a thing. It's, I, I would say that the minute clinic is going to get uh, um, re replaced by care coming directly into your home uh, and in, a, in a much more virtual sense because there's you know, the minute clinic is pretty limited by what's, uh, you know, what that looks like. I think what you're going to have is looking at, you know, how do you have, you know, diagnostic stations where you can go in and, and you know, get your, uh, your blood drawn and get your, you know, a minimal procedure done by a tech, but then it's going to be interpreted potentially by a, a specialist who is remote from where that's at. And I also, I also think beyond that, for, from a real estate standpoint, for the last decade, I'd say, you know, the buzzwords were retailization of healthcare, right? I mean, we were going to save the retail economy. I had, you, know, you, had you, you, you had multiple people coming and saying, hey, you know what? Hey, I've got great space. Don't know if you've heard of them, but JCPenney went out of business and I got a great storefront at my mall. You know what would be good in there? An MOB. And it was like, oh, okay, great. And, you know, you did see kind and of- MOB for our language uh, is a medical office building. Yes, medical so office thank building. You. Thank <laughs> you, thank you. A medical mm -hmm. office building. And I think, you know, largely you did see some of those where, hey, there was ample parking. It was great storefront, easy to get in, easy to get out. Um, but I think you start to see where we talk about minute clinics and things like that. Really what, what, you, what it means is not necessarily where, you know, Instead of a mall storefront, it's going to be a medical office building. But really, retailization is, you know, how do you cater to the customer in a more consumer-friendly, patient-centric model, much the way of kind of our traditional retail goods and service industry, uh, you know, the way those have been delivered to customers, as opposed to, you know, the very doctor-centric, you know, you go to the medical office building, you go to the hospital for that care, Large for the vast majority of things that we struggle with or the ailments that we have can be solved in a, you know, whether it be virtual or a, you know, I'll say a minute clinic type environment. Now, where do those go? That's the question. You know, we had many landlords uh, for a lot of years that said, 
I don't want your clinic in my, uh, you know, in my, in my mm-hmm. store, you know, kind of along the storefront of my, you know, modern, you know, outdoor mall because eh, I don't want, <laughs> I don't, I don't want Not good for people. the restaurant goers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want people walking up. Are you going to have people bandaged up walking up here? You know, mm-hmm. and truly it, it flipped pretty quick to, Hey, we'd love to have you in here. Yeah. Cause they're desperate for that cash now. <laughs> right. Right. And so I think part of this is, what does that look like? And we have to ask ourselves the real question of, are those retail uh, settings of 2,500 square feet and they're, they're, um, you know, they're managed by a nurse practitioner and, you know, everything is on a very easy to read menu. Um, is that just a stopgap? Um, you know, is that the better alternative to calling your primary care doc and hoping to get in in three weeks to see them? Um, you know, did we just, over the last six months, have we completely, you know, hurdled that, that jumped the shark and said, you know what, gosh, I don't even want to get in my car. I work from home. I'm going to call somebody and, you know, FaceTime them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I got an ear infection. I'm going to FaceTime them and kind of talk to them and see what happens. And then I'm going to, you know, get on Amazon. I'm going to order my, you know, my meds and have them delivered to my house. I mean, I think, we have to be pretty. Well, Amazon aware. might deliver before you order. Just to... <laughs> they, I know because I was searching for it online, and so they already know. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we're talking about it now is. I know. I'm going to get a bunch of meds delivered to my house tomorrow. You watch. <laughs> and so I think I think uh, your question though about kind of that mega hospital and and that there is there's still going to be people that have um, you know sadly they have cancer uh, you know. Happily, mm-hmm. they're having you know, babies. They, you know, we're going to have people pass or, away, or a broken foot. I broke my foot last year. I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't get telemedicine for that. Right, and so there's still going to be those things where you need that infrastructure. What does that infrastructure look like? Um, I think we and healthcare have been very myopic in the way that we look at that. Right, it's healthcare beds and some surgery and some imaging, and you mm-hmm. come to this one location for that, um, and then you leave. But who's to say that you can't combine that with, um, you know, a pedestrian-friendly retail environment and housing and parks mm-hmm. and all those things? I mean, it's just something that we have not thought through, and we truly are. You know, you hear about all the wonderful telehealth companies and, and all of these things we're talking about. And traditional healthcare systems like us, you know, our, our portfolio, like you mentioned, this $10 billion behemoth, a large portion of that is kind of locked up in very... Um, traditional hospitals, these big monoliths of care. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point, you know, they are going to get old and we're going to have to, you know, go in and, and, you know, refresh them and things like that. And as we do so, do we do so in a fashion that we're just putting a bandaid on things and kind of refreshing it? Or are we really rethinking the way that people are seeking care in the future? And I think that plays into the larger real estate discussion. Well, I don't want to go... Well, I don't want to go too far down the, the trend question. It kind of, when, when you guys talk about it, it reminds me a little bit of um, this conversation I once heard that Bill Gates thinks of, he thought of cable news as a competitor or Disney as a competitor, Microsoft. Do, are hospitals starting to think of big tech as competitors? Uh, more than just starting, we've been thinking that way for six, seven years. It's just a matter of where does it where does it fit into the look? Because what the concern is, uh, you know, from a hospital system perspective, is as we look at the competition, we've got a significant amount of infrastructure overhead that we're needing to support in terms of these large hospitals, you know, are very expensive to operate versus Amazon or uh, Apple or any of these other tech companies are going to come in and provide the high margin services without having to then have a complete vertical integration for the care delivery process. And so suddenly a patient gets too complicated for them and they hand them off to us after they've just kind of skimmed the cream off of of the the system, so to speak. And so I think that's where, for us, uh, we need to be much better at really, you know, rather than fighting that technological competition, what we need to be doing is better about actually driving value and and, and articulating the value proposition for the the individuals. Because I think, you know, uh, people 
we'll recognize the fact that, okay, well, if I need a surgery, Amazon's probably not going to do that. Although I hear the new iPhone's supposed to have a surgical component to it. There's an app for that. Come on. You know, they're so, they're so taking on Da Vinci. So next time, uh, you, know, we, you know, when you break your foot, you'll, you'll be able to just do that surgery at home with your, with your iPhone. But, <laughs> you heard it here first, first folks. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the undercover straight from China. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but I, I think the, the, the point being, though, is, is that the, 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 the relatively simple stuff when people aren't very sick, you know, the stuff that a generation ago, people would call up your, grand, your grandmother and say, what do I do? And they would say, have chicken soup and get some rest and you'll be fine, you know, in two days after and, you know, kind of suffer through it. That's the, that, that really low acuity type uh, care um, is what you know a lot of the Amazon and tech folks are working on right now and and being and, and are going to potentially kind of take over to a certain degree um, if but then it quickly uh, gets beyond the scope of their their infrastructure to be able to manage it and so that's where I think for us as a health system we need to be able to provide very robust tech enabled, um, uh, interfaces and portals into our system that look at really at, at the overall health of the individual. How do we keep you healthy and not just uh, be able to say, how do we care for you once you get sick? And that really is the pivot for us as an organization is looking at the broader scope of the social determinants of health and how do we think about housing? How do we think about food delivery? How do we think about the overall environment around us and, and say, how do we um, ultimately care for a community and keep them healthy as opposed to waiting for that illness to set in. It's, it is a frame shift in our overall mentality. Wait, so knowing that, um, which sector of real estate is most interesting to you over the next 20 years? Is it, other than warehousing, um, what is it residential? Obviously, it's not office. I'll take that back. Well, but I mean, maybe it, is. The, it depends on what lens you're looking at it through. I mean, so, oh, uh, value appreciation. Okay, so from a value appreciation perspective, I'm I'm really focused for us on residential. That to me, the the hospital of the future looks a lot like multifamily housing, because where what I need to be looking at. Um, as we go forward in the healthcare delivery is, you know, in, in, the, in the modern space, you come into a medical office building or you come into a hospital and you spend a relatively minor, tiny fraction of your life in that institution interfacing with it in comparison to you spend, you know, what, maybe 90% of your life in your home or in your domicile of some sort. And so... If I'm going to really truly influence health, I need to be getting to where you actually spend time and where you live. And how do I provide not just resources so that when you get sick around telehealth, but how do I provide, you know, for an elderly person, how do I provide fall monitoring to, and fall prevention uh, sorts of things so you don't break that hip? Um, or how do I ensure that from a nutritional perspective, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a big brother element to this, which, you know, kind of makes people nervous, but it's, you know, how do we sit there and say, how are you eating fresh fruits and vegetables versus uh, potato chips all day? And there becomes an, an element of integration of health in the broader sense of it, um, air quality, date natural light into the environment, whole variety of, of pieces that fit, that really are for us um, as a health system, focused around housing and then how do I then deliver medical services to you in a wraparound fashion in your home rather than waiting for you to get sick and, and bring you into a hospital. Huh. And I, I would, I mean, I would second that. I think it's something where you take a look currently. I mean, you, you mentioned it, you know, warehouse, obviously, uh, you know, those rents are going to stay flat and continue to increase the demand for warehouse space uh, is going to continue to increase as we see, you know, kind of a strong surge in e-commerce. What's interesting as well as I would throw, you know, kind of the online grocery sales is kind of fueling some of that demand as well. And, you know, their need for cold storage facilities and things of that nature. But it's all fueled by folks still working from home mm -hmm. uh, to, to a larger extent, right? So with people working from home, I'm curious, you know, although it's not going to be exclusive, but 
how much of that environment, you know, is, is going to drive people wanting to, you know, stay close to home, work from home. Um, and so housing is one of those where people are going to realize I spend a lot of time here now. It's not just the place I sleep in the evening and then I get up and go to work. I spend a lot of time here. Um, it's a place I want to be. How do I make it a healthier environment? And right now, um, you know, apartment rents, uh, they're down about a percent on average. Uh, it's not bad, but that that's far off kind of the, the increases we saw from three to five percent over the last few years. But right now what we're seeing is the housing market due to interest rates is, is so tight um, and you're also seeing a lot of people fleeing kind of some of the larger cities if they truly can mm-hmm. look from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Heck, I'm going to go live somewhere in a, you know, in a place where I want to be. And so you're starting to see kind of a tight housing market in some markets that traditionally have not been so, um, I'll say, you know, uh, busy. And yeah, what vacation home markets that are exactly. becoming primary yep. markets now, yeah. And what you're seeing is you, people are saying, okay, well, I'm going to work and live where um, where I want to. And so, um, you know, that actually has forced uh, more people to rent. And so what is the future of, you know, kind of that apartment live work um, scenario look like as well? Um, and, you know, and John had mentioned as well, kind of that the senior, quote unquote, senior population that we used to see, um, they are healthier for longer. They're active for longer. They don't necessarily want to go to kind of you know quote unquote grandma's you know retirement home. They want to mm-hmm. they want to be in an active environment, surrounded by like minded people, doing things that they always did that they wanted to do in retirement. Right? They want to be active, and so um, I do think that housing component is one that's going to be interesting to watch over the next you know over the next cycle for sure. The other one for the very opposite reason. Um, to, is going to be interesting to watch is, you know, the office space environment. What do we imagine those as, right? And there, there's going to be vacancy. Um, you know, I, I think uh, companies, you know, and their office employees kind of remain somewhat leery of working together in close quarters, even once we get to go back to work. And so, um, you know, what did those look like? What does the actual layout look like? Um, and I do think that leads to probably a shift in kind of the traditional eight to five. Um, you know, working hours might look a little different. People might work mm-hmm. in shifts. Um, and so all interesting things to kind of watch play out as we approach the next cycle. So it, it's interesting as we're talking about it. I mean, let's go to retail specifically, which is a little easier to, to stare at um, just as a sector. Right. I, you know. I, I can't see a world, and you know, it just could be bad imagination, where where retail had the same value it did twenty years ago as a kind of a space in the United States. What is that? <laughs> Seriously? Which shopping mall did you go to in Mesa? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're waiting for the Gap to move in. They're coming next week. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that what's going to be interesting is I think those, again, are probably, they're going to have to be reimagined. And it's not surprising retail is suffering. Uh, fewer people are shopping in store, especially as people are at home. The increase in e-commerce has, you know, shot through the roof. People are on the computer all day long at home, um, you know, and they're buying things like workout pants and, you know, sit-stand desks and things like that, as opposed to, you know, you're in your car on your way to and from work. And so those retail locations, you've seen rents fall roughly 2.5% this year. Um, and new construction of retail locations are at a multi-decade low. I mean, they are at an all-time low. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they can see the rates are still going to rise as bankruptcies grow. And so commercial real estate is always going to trail a little bit, right? We are still, we haven't seen, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. And I'm not doom and gloom. I mean, I don't think it's probably going to be as bad as some people are saying. But we haven't seen the end yet because some people still are, you know, kind of their lease is trickling out. And when those lease expiration dates come up, I think you're going to see quite a few people just say, you know what, 
I think we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah, I was uh, surprised to see Microsoft closed all their stores, right, as the example. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what you're going to see, though, is there is still a, popu- uh, a segment of the population where, you know, the traditional, I'm going to go out on a Friday night, I want to wander through a, you know, quote-unquote mall, whether it's outdoor, retail environment, whether it's down Main Street, whatever it may be, it's still somewhat of a, a social activity, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like? How do you draw people in? But I do think that big box, I'm going to go walk around kind of the, the condo segments of stores to and from, um, you know, I think they've got to do something to change that experience. It's going to be very experience driven as opposed to uh, retail purchase and sale driven. Yeah, I- yeah. I wonder when you're saying it, the first thing I think, sorry, Chris, I'll let you go right afterwards. I kind of think about schools, right? Mm -hmm. Elementary Mm -hmm. schools, high schools, you know, some restaurants, um, like regular restaurants now being in malls as kind of, you know, and and obviously most big box kind of dying off. Yeah. Yeah. Department Uh, stores are dead. Right. Don't tell Macy's. <laughs> along with uh, <laughs> along with Thai Macy's, stores, right? This, uh... Macy's, yeah. <laughs> Macy's is great. You can go in there and get. Uh, you went in there for a suit. You come out with three for a dollar. You know, for one hundred ninety nine bucks. Right. It's and a pair of <laughs> they, they always have some sale. You don't know what it's for, but there's always a sale going on, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're right. I think um, the the school one is interesting as well. I think. Um, the way we approach kind of our uh, recreation as a society. Um, It's funny, although, um, you know, we have been, um, you know, kind of working from home and my, I've been home with my family more, you know, we'll go out on hikes, uh, you know, kind of out and around outside of uh, town here. And you see a ton of people on the trail and it's funny, everyone respectfully has a mask on and you think, okay, you know, you're outside. Does that make sense? But regardless, you're seeing people recreate a little differently now, uh, whether it's being outside, um, you know, some of that shopping is done online really to fulfill a need as opposed to fulfill kind of a, a recreational, um, you know, desire to go out and you know, I'm going to have dinner and, and, and I'll window shop. Right. <clears throat> no, that's, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, I want to ask John again, when you were talking, John, about, um, the further development of healthcare delivery and, you know, adding in that sort of residential component and monitoring is every hospital going to look like Cliffside Malibu? Is that the idea? <laughs> you check in for a long recovery and monitoring or... Well, it's, it's, I think it's more like, uh, is it the Hotel California where you check in and never check out or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Isn't that what some of well certifications about? I mean, can you kind of take us through some of your certification and how you answer this question? Because you're pretty advanced on your thought about this. Yes, I guess. So to your point, so I, I'm a well certified AP. And so for those of your listeners who aren't totally familiar, the well building standard is a cousin to uh, the LEED building standard. Most of these have heard about LEED, uh, gold, platinum, silver. Uh, and WELL does a similar sort of a, of a certification of buildings based on uh, particular elements uh, that are there. And it's a scoring system. And it's much more in its infancy in comparison to um, uh, in, in comparison to the LEED standard. But as far as I know, I think I'm the only physician in the country who is certified in the, in the WELL building standard. And the thing that's interesting to it, from my perspective, is not so much that the, the standard that's there, because it, it in some ways is a somewhat of an arbitrary set of uh, criteria, but uh, the more interesting uh, question is to be thinking about how does the built environment that's around us integrate into our lives in such a way that it actually cares for us. It is an active instead of just a passive uh, part of our lives. So I guess what I mean by that is if you think about your body's immune system, your body's immune system is always um, on, it's always responding, it's always uh, kind of protecting us. And most of the time, we don't even know that what it, it's been exposed to something and what it's protecting us uh, from because we don't actually get sick because the body responded uh, without us even knowing about it. And so in some ways, is I see 
the, the built environment as kind of an external immune system, potentially. It, it already provides us shelter from the elements. Uh, it's raining outside, it's cold outside, but it's nice and warm and toasty and dry inside your home. And so in that context, you are uh, you know, never uh, you know, kind of even aware of what the weather looks like outside. So how do you take it to the next level and look at, you know, since we're so focused uh, on viruses, how does uh, the, the uh, heating system, the ventilation system in your home actively monitor the viral load within your environment and actively uh, mitigate against it and be able to optimize the conditions that are there? How does the building itself respond to noise and natural light and optimize the environmental conditions to improve your vitamin D levels? How does it improve the conditions to be able to stimulate your brain in ways that encourages neuroplasticity uh, and, and allows for uh, ongoing uh, kind of prevention of, of dementia and other uh, neurodegenerative diseases. I mean, I think that we're just at the very beginning of being able to think about where the built environment and health and wellness truly intersect. And I think the future is, as we look at the Internet of Things, as we start to look at uh, embedding technology into our environments where the building itself actually is dynamically responding and changing around us without us even having to think about it, you know, and, um, and providing that type of passive immunity, so to speak, against a whole variety of environmental threats and allow us to be able to optimize uh, our health in that environment. And so, I, you know, I think that's where, the, for me, the excitement uh, becomes of what, what the future of uh, kind of the intersection of real estate and healthcare looks like. So it, it sounds to me like you just made a pitch for a master plan community. In under 10 years, is there any chance that Providence will look at one? Um, we're already there. I mean, there's not under, they're not under 10 years. It's under construction right now in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and so we've got elements that are there uh, moving forward as we look at what is a healthcare-anchored mixed-use development moving forward. And so, you know, and we're still in the early in, in that development phase with it. There are other communities that are there. There, you know, the sophistication of those types of buildings are going to, you know, continue to evolve. But realistically, a if all we're doing is a, a master plan community here and a master plan community there, it really doesn't, you know, move the needle much in terms. No, of I guess. Truly yeah, I was meaning the tech. The tech part, right? You talked about a lot of technology in the the community you d you described or the building you described. Yeah. Are you guys are you guys building that into the new community in Texas? Um, not to the degree that that I can envision it. Um, you know, this is this is it's an iterative process. But you know, for what we're working on in Texas is is looking at how our social environments inter interface with um, healthcare delivery network. Hmm. It's very interesting. This is almost like uh, everything old is new again. You know, the the ancient Greeks used the, of course, environment for healing. Maybe they lacked other remedies, but the old uh, Asclepion, those um, healing sanctuaries that the Greeks had were, um, of course, focused entirely on the environment uh, with falling water and gardens and things to help um, create a positive response in the immune system. They did also lack superglue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. But you know, it's... <laughs> Give that man a raise, John. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a real evil boss. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's for a different podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, I was sharing, I think, with you, Neil, that uh, I've been fascinated just by um, this remote work and work from home and also the um, two-dimensional nature of um, Zoom, Skype, you know, Teams and uh, Google Meets. And I always, in my mind, think that the gaming companies have a tremendous advantage in the the way that, of course, with gaming, 
you can create this platform and imagine and build a whole new universe and a whole environment. And that for those reasons, because that platform exists, they have an advantage when it comes to conferencing and networking and solving some of the problems we talked about with remote work like getting a team together and energizing them to a decision and some of the other things that are missing from remote work where you've got to come to group decisions or, um, you know, things that are really lacking. And that this, um, the gaming model or this idea of a metaverse might even play into what you're talking about, John, in uh, creating a sort of built-in responsive environment. Um, not necessarily all virtual, but maybe a blend of those things um, that can create that same immune response Tim, or something positive. Tim Sweeney and John Milne have the, uh, all of the solutions for the rest of the world. <laughs> the founder of Epic, which is the Epic Games, Fortnite yeah. 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 producer. Uh-huh. Yeah. John, uh, John I think you want to go talk to him. Here, so we're good. Yeah, no, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a lowly ER doc, you know, that happens to pass as a real estate uh, dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, do, you, do you guys think, that's a really interesting point, Chris. Um, do you guys think about gamification much, John? Not as much as we should, is the short answer to that. I think because it is such a foreign concept for us, uh, or for most clinicians, to think about um, what that really looks like. And I think this is, this is where, you know, you're almost kind of operating in parallel universes. The, the, the people who are designing, building video games, you know, are kind of in their bubble and we in healthcare are sitting in our bubble and don't always talk the same language and don't necessarily understand what the opportunity there looks like. And I think that's probably a, a miss for many of us. We ought to try and get you and Ray Mazuka back on a, and a podcast together since you've met Ray once before. Well, and I think to your point as well, I mean, the gamification of uh, some of the things that we come across, you know, if, if you are seeing a patient virtually and, you know, you assign them not necessarily just a prescription for a medicine, but if you're assigning them, uh, you know, an exercise regimen or a, you know, or an ability, I'm going to assign you, here's your meal plan for the next, you know, month or something of that nature, you know, maybe the assignment we is uh, to watch a certain series of videos, right? I mean, the, the follow up on a doctor's visit is very sterile, right? I mean, there, there is opportunity there to kind of gamify that follow up, right? Um, you know, we've taken it as far as in a lot of cases, depending on the specialty or the surgery, you know, the, the follow up is you literally have a nurse and or, you know, a caregiver calling to say, hey, did you take your meds today? Did you get up and, you know, take your, your walk? Did you do, you know, your PT? Um, you know, how do you gamify that process to where it is interesting? And I think we've done that in so many other aspects of life that you're right. I think there there's opportunity there um, in healthcare to kind of provide that opportunity for folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got to grab the brass ring and get a dopamine hit with a nice uh, song or jingle. <laughs> Have their avatar, you know, jump and do a dance or something. But, it's but, but I, no, I think that's a good point. You know, I, I never hear John talking dopamine hits, which is what, what it's all about. Now, right? That's where it's at. Dopamine hits per minute. That's right. But, I, I you know, it's not dope. <laughs> no, no, no. But but I do hear interesting things on like the hospital he built where, you know, um, nurse satisfaction was amongst the highest in the system at one point. Right. And he it's because he thought about the environment. So he's probably thinking more, you know, long term versus the dopamine instant hit um, that you get. Right. Because he, he studied color and all sorts of interesting things to build that hospital. Um. So yeah, it definitely makes me think about what's what's the right combination of both in in um, in delivering everything, it, you know. And and maybe maybe just maybe I'm going to throw this out. Robin Hood is actually your biggest competitor. <laughs> <laughs> to, to me, are you speaking to me, Neil? No, no, to, to John. No, I'm talking to John. I'm talking to John. 
what's the boys in the hood guy, guy that I don't have? Tell me what my competition. <laughs> They're going to gamify the ER one day, right? That, that's next. I don't know what their mission statement, but that's what it sounds like. Let's gamify the world. Let's make all the tasks that are hard much easier. Break your arm and we'll make it fun. It'd be interesting to see the game the game controller for that, right? What, what would that look like, John? <laughs> the game controller for the ED, what exactly does that look like? No, but, but you're, you're actually hitting on, a, on, a, on an interesting topic that, you know, is kind of way off of our subject matter here today. But, you know, you start looking at, you're talking about dopamine hits and what is the, the influence of, of games on uh, kind of dopamine and pleasure responses that are there. And as we think about pain modulation in the hospital and how do we manage the opioid crisis that we've been facing in the country, which has kind of taken a back seat to the... Uh, to the COVID pandemic we're in the middle of right now, but you know it was you know, you know last year's uh, crisis was really focused on you know the fact that we've got you know this huge amount of, of addiction uh, to uh, what started as pain meds, and it, and and so the issue around how do we manage pain hasn't changed, and I think you know there certainly is uh, opportunity around how do you use alternate stimulants uh, games, basically, to be able to modulate dopamine levels and, then, and thereby modulate pain. And so that, that start gets into a whole different set of uh, processes there that, you know, you start thinking about where the overlaps and the synergies uh, fit. Uh, and, it's, um, and I think there's, there's elements to a lot of that that kind of nest together. You know, I kind of wonder if we end this part of the segment of the show just hearing any predictions you have um, related to anything that you see really kind of far out in healthcare. Um, and sorry, and real estate. Um, uh, it sounds you know, like you've already made a couple big ones, but anything else you want to add in? Uh, you know, John, I think John hit on a, a big one uh, earlier that. The future of healthcare really does look a lot like uh, either multi-family, multi-tenanted housing, and our ability to keep people actually healthy and out of our hospitals. I think is a key driver for us. Um, you know, especially as we move more toward quality and away from you know uh, volumes of, of procedures. I think that's something where how do we uh, you know build. Uh, the built environment around keeping people healthy, whether it's housing, retail, you know, where we where we shop, where we eat, sleep, drink. Uh, how do we build that around a healthy environment? Um, and truly, if our hospitals were empty, we'd be doing our job. Um, and so that's something where, you know, I think the medical office sector has been a very strong uh, growth market for the last couple of decades. And people see it as, as a pretty consistent opportunity, uh, especially for investors, a place to put money. Um, but, you know, as we move forward, I think, you know, you have investors wanting kind of that, you know, 80,000 square foot medical office building that has a single tenant and you have primary care, uh, pharmacy and imaging. And, and that's great. Um, but I think we, in healthcare, look at that a little differently and say, you know, that building may not actually look like that. And in fact, um, you know, we do need a grocer in there and, you know, maybe, maybe we couple that with housing. And so I think, you know, large predictions going forward is hopefully you see more and more people actually um, living, working, uh, you know, being healthy where they're at. If we can actually see patients where they're at, as opposed to having them have to go to a facility to receive care. Um, and if we can kind of see some of these things on the front end, great. I mean, not really a, a groundbreaking um, uh, prediction, but, and John, I kind of, I kind of stole yours. So if you want to come up with another one and sound smart, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I guess, you know, not a, not a novel observation on my point uh, that we've got a graying of America, you know, that, you know, the senior tsunami of, you know, the aging baby boomers is a, is a massive piece going forward. But, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about the, 
expectations of the boomers as they age are very different than where it had been a generation ago. And so if you think about you know, the types of places they want to live. Um, I look at my own parents who are in their 70s, you know, could very easily have moved into it when they sold their house uh, and uh, were looking to say, I'm going to you know, find a different place to live. They chose to move into a regular apartment building because they wanted to be around families and kids and integrated more into some multi-generational type of an experience rather than sitting around with a bunch of other pe- other old people playing shuffleboard. And, you know, and, you know, my dad gets energy from going out and having a broader multi-generational uh, interactions. Um, and, and there's, I think what we'll, we'll learn is that there is uh, within that space, one of the things we've lost over the last couple of hundred years uh, in this country is that uh, connection that had previously existed between the multi-generational families. And I think there's going to be, to a certain degree, an increase in terms of opportunities for, from a real estate perspective, of how do we integrate our seniors? Because the way we've cared for them, we institutionalize our seniors in nursing homes and kind of forget about them and then come and visit them on the weekends when it's kind of convenient, just isn't... A, it's not humane from my perspective, but also it's, it's I don't think it's the, the healthiest for them. I don't think our seniors want to be uh, treated in that way. And so I think there's going to be an ongoing evolution of what is senior housing and what does it look like? And Neil, you and I, you may remember, you know, we um, learned about a development that was happening several years ago at Arizona State University where they're actually developing senior housing on campus and seniors who live there can go to classes with the college students and hang out and go to college parties and you know kind of live it up uh with with an on-campus almost like a dorm uh sort of environment that was there with the whole idea the fundamental piece to it is this is about you know neuro engagement and how do i how do you how do you stay mentally sharp uh as you age and so i think the focus going forward is how do we allow seniors to age well? And so if we start treating seniors the same way we treat high-performance athletes and really starting to bring uh, that kind of um, science of medicine and uh, to that sort of aging sorts of question, that to me, I think, is really where a lot of the frontier of, of medicine certainly is going to be. And then from a real estate perspective is then how do we uh, look and adapt and bring um, our ongoing um, resources to bear to create the environments that first seniors enjoy and also help them age well. And John, I, I think, oh, go, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm very excited to learn that I can uh, do a beer bong in my senior years <laughs> at the ASU. <laughs> but, uh, but I was thinking, um, John and, and Neil and Andrew, I don't know if you've seen this, but I remember seeing a special on um, senior housing uh, in Denmark. I believe it was Denmark. But it was a homogeneous Scandinavian country, so maybe Finland or <laughs> Sweden or Norway. But I'm pretty sure it was Denmark. And they were creating these pods, like you were saying, where they were, they were um, intentional about how they – mixed in, you know, a couple of senior um, families and then a single mother and then, you know, another um, nuclear family and and making these um, communities um, that uh, were fully functioning. And they had certain things, elements in these um, living communities, usually about um, half a dozen to a dozen families um, with a communal kitchen and all of this stuff, which really created a lot of interaction among the, the people. And that was a, a huge success. And this is from the mid-2000s to the, um, you know, five years ago or so is the last report I saw on this endeavor. But it, it reminds me of what you were talking about and the ways we can build out living communities that keep uh, people, especially seniors, engaged. Well, and I think one of the things for us is, I mean, we've talked in a, you know, kind of a, a large holistic or comprehensive view of healthcare and the real estate that kind of supports it. And for us, I mean, you know, our portfolio is, is large spread across the entire West coast. Um, 
And I think one of the things that, you know, John and I uh, talk about almost on a daily basis is how do we actually repurpose some of our existing assets to align with some of the things that we've talked about, right? And I think part of that is is we really have to be the change and, and, and kind of force our own hand and disrupt our own business in the way that we traditionally see some of these uh, these buildings and the built environment. And um, and really, uh, you know, it's it's something where, you know, we don't have to create something new out of the dust, but how do we repurpose some of the things that we already have? And I think that's something John and I, you know, we talk about on a daily basis and, and struggle with is, you know, to, to what extent and how much do we do it once? You know, is it a, is it a natural um, progression or do we, you know, do we go the way of the pandemic and literally just flip the switch and say, okay, now we're going to be doing this in these types of environments. And I think that's, that's still to be determined about the appropriate way to, uh, you know, kind of approach our real estate portfolio as a whole. Um, we really appreciate you guys joining us and we hope you'll join us for the public markets commentary and maybe a little commentary on venture capital you're welcome to stay thank you very much I think uh, you know I will stick around I uh, this has been enjoyable yeah thank you Andrew it's been great to have you and John our old friend it's been <laughs> great to, <laughs> to get your 30,000 foot view and your view from the trenches thank you you know john Absolutely. i talked to you a lot and i forget how smart you are <laughs> i was gonna say that about you Neil. <laughs> <laughs> no well i mean he, he he's really you know uh, i was joking a little bit but he's also really just you know so future sighted it you know it's obviously some sort of innate wisdom to have studied what's not working um and been a part of what's not working to be able to look so far forward and you know I called John before the podcast about some random health issue in my family or whatever, right? Like it's fun to hear this, this extra side and, um, the, the healthcare futurists, real estate developer and you. I'm still waiting for some of that genius to rub off on me, John. It just, just a little, just, just throw a little my way. He's he's come all the way up, John, from the bowels of the Portland VA hospital. I know. He's come a long way. Quite literally, Chris. I always joke. I always always tell people, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That was the next. That was the next. That was the next phase of this uh, of this podcast. <laughs>